Welcome to Highly Functioning, a show about discovering, understanding, and optimizing the brain from a non-neurotypical lens. On this week's episode of Highly Functioning, we talk about David's mental health journey, how he's come to realize that he might have Asperger's, and talked a lot about his personal experiences, struggles, and hurdles that he's had to jump through in order to come to that result. And we generally had a great conversation about what symptoms he experiences, the quantity and degree of those symptoms, and the effects that labels of mental health have on your behavior, and making sure that that label is not an excuse for how you act. So today we're going to dive into why I think I have Asperger's. Um, and then in the next episode, we'll dive into why Winston thinks he does. Um, so I'll, I'll give a brief summary and then hopefully Winston asks some questions and we answer a lot of the questions that listeners might have as well. Um, so right now I'm 28 years old and I'd say I only really started thinking uh, I had Asperger's about two years ago. Um, jumping back a little bit, I think the most important context is I was when I was 24 years old was the first time that anyone had really kind of at least gotten through to me that maybe my mind worked differently than average, right? Because, you know, often I was told I was doing things wrong or badly, but there was always kind of moral judgment attached to it. Like I was choosing to do something wrong. No one had ever really kind of matter of factly just proposed to me, hey, something's going wrong. Something is off about the way you're functioning. And I mean, they didn't even put it like that. I took an in-depth career assessment and this assessment just said I ranked high in anxiety, right? And I, so I spoke to this guy. I was like, I don't have anxiety. What do you mean? And he explained why I had anxiety, like what, and he kind of basically explained very matter of factly as an aside, what anxiety even is. And I was like, so I started to think about that. Um, that was at the start of what became an entire mental health breakdown. Um, and so I spent about two years with depression and anxiety, really trying to understand each of them, right? And really trying to understand what was going on in my mind and how do I take control? Because I was in a really bad spot. And after about two, two and a half years of this, I felt like I had a really good understanding of what anxiety was and what depression was. Like I understood them, I could deal with them, not perfectly, but appropriately. But then there was still some third thing that was going on in my mind that was separate from those two. And I hadn't found any advice about that thing. And so I ended up having, I ended up thinking I had bipolar type two because of some celebrities um, talking about their bipolar disorder, their diagnosed bipolar type two disorder. And it really resonated in some aspects. Uh, so I ended up doing a mental health program, a three-week program at Northrop General Hospital in Toronto, um, where I got diagnosed with ADHD. Uh, and so I'm, I'm sharing all of this because I think it's important to provide the proper context and if, and if other people are in similar, you know, at different parts of a similar journey. Um, but the ADHD meds didn't work at all, really. I tried a few different ones while uh, seeing a psychiatrist in this program, and none of them really worked. And what ended up happening is... I started to experiment just without drugs about, you know, what is going on in my mind more particularly, because the thing that has, had always ramped my mind up the most and got it to a point where I couldn't handle it, right? There's people have issues with anxiety where their mind gets to a point where they can't handle it. But I was having that even when it wasn't anxious thoughts. It was just thoughts, generally speaking. 
um, and I knew they weren't anxious thoughts. And so I no had noticed that that would happen when I'd have really deep conversations, right? If I had a three hour in-depth conversation about a topic, it might ramp up my, my mind quite a bit, my brain quite a bit. But what happened is after I had this ADHD diagnosis, by coincidence, I had started to work at a coffee shop and I was a cashier at a coffee shop. And so I was just doing these very small, easy uh, calculations in my head about change, right? How much change is it? I don't want to have to wait for the cash register. I'll just do it in my head as well. And I noticed that that was similarly ramping up my brain. And so that was a really interesting connection for me that it wasn't just kind of like the breadth of a topic, but it was sheer like the amount of processing. And I started to notice, well, if I was also talking or if there was also music in the background. Um, and, so that, and so that kind of real sensory sensitivity what, uh, in that kind of uh, experimental situation, let's say, where I was really paying attention, that was the thing that really made me start thinking about it generally. And then when I, uh, when I took that assumption, not necessarily that I had Asperger's, but about sensory uh, oversensitivity, um, that really kind of opened my eyes to a lot of stuff from my past uh, and from other aspects of life at the time that, you know, really seemed to fall in line with this idea of not being able to filter noise, not being able to filter sensations. And so then I, that's when I really started to kind of explore the idea of Asperger's. Um, and the more I read about it, the more it seemed to fit. So I'm happy to go into any more details or I'm interested to know what questions you have, Winston, but that's kind of the, the essentials of what happened and what led me to thinking I might have it. And it's developed a lot since then. I'm, I'm much more, I was much more confident in that. And more recently, I've learned that, oh, well, because uh, you don't want to kind of, there's a tendency with a lot of people to want a label, right? This label makes me comfortable. I fit in this box. And I'm not really... I don't care about that. I'm more interested about a label in terms of how to plug my knowledge of my mind into the current literature, into the current uh, state of the science. And I've heard now that it's more, that it's trending in a different direction, but I still think for most people, uh, the most useful thing is to talk in labels and uh, you know, to really understand a lot of the, the information is to talk in labels. Um, but anyway, so that's kind of, yeah, that's the gist of, uh, how I got from just being told apparently my mind doesn't work as everyone else's does. And in particular, it doesn't work in the optimal way, which was really what made me interested. Um, and then uh, my phone is ringing. So we're going to cut because can you hear that? A little bit, but not really. Oh, well, anyways. So um, and so that is what started and then eventually led me to the conclusion of I have Asperger's. So I, I want to get a little bit more color in that conversation because I know you mentioned a lot of like why you don't have OCD. Why you, can you mm. hear some noise in the background, by the way, on my end? No. No? Great. So um, you mentioned a lot about why you don't have OCD, why you don't have ADHD, but I don't think you really got to what is it that pointed you in the direction of being on the autism spectrum. Mm. Uh, and like you mentioned like sensory, um, I guess sensory, sensory, 
sensitivity. And of course, there's things around sensory overload mm-hmm. um, and things about physical sensations and sound and things like that. Was there any sort of like, especially in a coffee shop, I'd imagine that there's a lot of noises and stuff going around. Yeah. Did that ever play into it? And so like, how did you get pointed in the direction of autism as opposed to um, the other set of things that they looked at, look into, which is like OCD and other, uh, I guess more, I wouldn't say more common, but mm-hmm. uh, they become more prevalent diagnoses, uh, at least recently. Yeah, that's fair. To be honest, I don't remember exactly how Asperger's came on my uh, on my radar in terms of the explanation. Um, but I always kind of knew a bit about it, I suppose. Um, and the thing that comes to mind as to why it what it may have kind of let's say popped into my head uh, because um, a couple of years prior, I had met up with a friend or an acquaintance from elementary school talking about. Like we, we were in the same grade eight class basically, and we randomly reconnected and she, she is diagnosed with Asperger's. And what was really interesting is her and I, in that conversation, were just catching up and talking about what life was like as that kid. And she actually broke down crying because my experiences were so relatable to her and she didn't know that anyone else had been going through that. Um, And so just like from a pure experiential level, like that, I, that really resonated with me. So it's possible that I just kind of stored that information, but at the, at the time it wasn't really a focus of my uh, investigation. Um, so that's one thing. I mean, I had also been told by uh, family members in kind of a tongue in cheek way, maybe I have Asperger's um, in the past. Um, and I'd always been kind of socially awkward. So I knew enough about it and there'd been enough kind of tangential mentions that when this sensory issue really became obvious to me, cause I'd come back from a coffee shop shift and yeah, it's like more physical work than I've done in a long time. Right. <laughs> Even like lifting heavy boxes and stuff. Like I, I don't do that often. Um, but I was just in, like, I was mentally exhausted from working at a coffee shop. And that really surprised me. Um, and so I, don't, I didn't answer your question perfectly because I really don't know how exactly the, it first got into my mind. But I think I had enough general knowledge of it that it was kind of something to, to weigh. Or, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if I had Googled symptoms, just Googled what was going on. And if you look like oversensitivity or uh, these sorts of things. Um, so being... Um, and uh, so, so being that um, I'd imagine that a lot of people, at least, at least from my perspective, when I uh, fell upon the idea of being, uh, being possibly on the spectrum, um, one of the things that was big for me is what you, just, what you just mentioned, which is hearing someone else who might potentially have, um, have had those experiences. So if you're comfortable, do you, do you mind going into a little bit, especially because from a diagnosis point of view, they tend to ask how your childhood was like, did you have mm-hmm. certain like behaviors and things like that? Would you mind going into like, what some of those experiences are so that if someone is listening, they might be able to relate and might be able to use that to decide, okay, like maybe I have it as well, you know? Right. Yeah. And I think that's a key thing is, uh, you know, people, I don't technically have a diagnosis and stuff, but all that they do is ask about your childhood and see, do you check all of these boxes? Right. Um, and so, yeah, I'll, I'll start into my background with that. And then I'm, I'm open to share any of it. I just might not have it all right at the fore of my mind. So any follow-up questions or specific aspects uh, would be uh, good to help me highlight as well. Um, but I, I'm sure as I start more will come out. So you might have to stop me as well. 
Um, one that I'll, I'll put my hand up. Yeah. One, um, so I knew from, I think I was maybe nine or 10 when I first asked my dad if I could see a mental health professional. So I think that's kind of interesting in itself because already by that age, I felt I didn't have control of my mind, right? And when I was told basically, no, there's no problem, I just kind of went, put, shoved that away. But there was, I already knew I don't have control of what's going on in my head at some quite young age. Um, two examples of things that seemed to interest someone I spoke with is that my thoughts were so loud that I couldn't listen to music because I literally couldn't pay attention. I couldn't hear the music over my own thoughts because they were just always running and really loud. Um, and similarly, I never really developed an enjoyment for food because I could never actually pay attention to what I was eating because, again, I had all of these thoughts racing through my head all of the time, literally all of the time. Um, I was always really socially awkward. Uh, I didn't connect well with people. I had a relatively high intellectual understanding of people, right? So kind of like I could know what buttons to push, but I didn't actually understand what was going on in their world, why they were upset. And like emotions didn't make any sense to me. Um, I would often uh, spin in circles, like to an extreme degree for a long period of time. And I loved the sensation of being disoriented. And it was almost as if the speed I would be spinning, that's how fast my mind was moving. So I tried to make my body go as fast as possible. And that made it feel more in sync with my mind. Um, and one thing in particular that really kind of captures the, and I, I don't think necessarily, I think even within having Asperger's, there's a potential that I have a specifically unique subcondition, let's say, and you know, we'll get into that more detail in another episode. Um, but what I would do is I'd be in the shower and it would literally, I'd, I'd pretend that each water droplet was a thought. And I had so many thoughts going through my mind that it literally worked, that I'd associate the physical sensation of the water droplet with a thought. And then I'd, I'd let so many rush into my brain at once that it was almost like completely overwhelming. And I'd step out of the water and that would be like a way to connect the thoughts to the sensation and turn them off of it. But I was just kind of consistently overwhelmed with my own experience. Um, I had no ability to introspect at all because I was just always analyzing the situation. I was always thinking, what should I be doing now? What should I be doing now? What should I be doing now? Literally always and forever. Um, and the last thing that comes to mind in terms of this riff is also uh, the way I'd communicate. I, had, I literally had no ability to filter my speech. I could not think before I spoke. It, like, that didn't even make sense to me. I didn't understand what people meant when they said that because to me, thinking was speaking. That was the same thing. I thought while I spoke. Um, and so I also did have a bad anxiety problem. And so in high school in particular, I'd like vent for hours to friends, like literally nonstop for hours. Um, I mean, I can keep going, but I don't know how useful it is to list. The one other one that comes to mind that I only remembered recently is I used to bash an apple on my head as hard as I could every day at lunch. And like, that's just so bizarre. Why would I have done that? 
right? I used to literally take an apple and smash it against my head to entertain my class. And so, yeah, there was an entertainment factor, but like, why would I have chosen to make that decision? Like what connection is there that this is a good idea? Um, yeah, so those are the and main know, ones. And I know like in terms of repetitive behavior, like a lot of kids, you'll find that like, um, and I, of course we can talk about my, myself on a different, ep- on the next episode, but like I would find myself like literally sitting on a chair, just banging my head on the wall. Yeah. Uh, just like it, it would almost be like this calming behavior of me just always being able to like do that repetitive like hit. And of course, um, right now they know that like that's probably not very good for you. Yeah. Uh, so they try to find some different ways to do it. But um, one of the things I'm more curious about is like, because I know you've done a lot of like um, a lot of reading and a lot of researching on it. What do you think is the difference between someone who is a and I'll preface by saying like this is a lot of what and where my questions tend to go when I start to sort of um, introspect and find out whether am I just like socially awkward or is there like something more to it? Is how do you differentiate between being someone who's socially awkward uh, or like like uh, maybe has like a tough time in school versus someone who genuinely has um, Asperger's or is on the autism spectrum? Right. And I think that's really tough to do. Right. And even psychologists have a hard time actually doing that and actually diagnosing it. Right. And what's the real difference between ADHD and Asperger's and OCD and a combination of some of traits of each. Right. And so, I mean, I think the mind is still so complex that we really don't know exactly what the lines are. And even like, to me, what it really comes down to is when I talk to people and I explain some of the stuff, almost everyone says about most of the things, oh yeah, I have that to a degree too, right? And for me, it's two things. It's like, I check all of the boxes, whereas the average person, let's say, checks four to six out of 10. You know, these aren't uh, important Mm -hmm. numbers, but I'm saying like, when we talk about these things, I check almost every box, whereas the people I'm talking to, they tend to latch on to the few they can relate to, which makes sense. But then also it's a matter of degree, right? Um, you know, someone else has racing thoughts. Okay, but their racing thoughts, I literally think are a tenth of the degree of my racing thoughts, right? Um, and so it's really from talking to people, right? Because I didn't used to think this, right? This is an adult conclusion I've come to. It's not like I was told at a young age. And so I looked through everything through this lens. I had always just considered myself over analytical. That's the word I used to describe myself until I was 24, right? I'm over analytical. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, the social awkwardness, that was just my personality. I didn't think anything of it. That's just, it was how I was. And then I learned, oh, it upsets people sometimes. So I'll try and be a bit different with, you know, more sensitive friends and that sort of thing. Um, but fundamentally, it's a matter of degrees, right? Um, And again, even the psychologist I have talked to informally about this, it's important not to get attached to a label and to then have that cloud your judgment, right? It's important to be objective about, okay, no, like really I'm trying to figure out how to optimize my life, what categories of thinking seem to be in line with that. Um, And so out of anything I've read, Asperger's helps me understand my mind the most, right? Um, And so I recently read Thinking in Pictures by Temple Grandin. And I mean, that wasn't like life shatteringly amazing for me because I had already done a lot of work, but it was really interesting to read about a completely different mind that works completely differently than mine, but has these key similarities that are fundamentally different from almost everyone I talk to. 
right? But I think the key thing is, yeah, it's about this is out of anything I've encountered so far, and I've been trying to do a lot of work, this label presents the body of knowledge that best helps me understand my mind more. And I really like how you said that, partially because, or mainly because of the fact that I think it's really easy to be like, okay, like I have Asperger's, I have OCD, I have another um, like uh, illness or condition or, or mm-hmm. a different way of thinking. And to automatically look at the symptoms and be like, okay, now I'm now that is who I am, even right. if that symptom is not the case. And you essentially have a self-fulfilling prophecy of like you start to act in a specific way because you think that's how you're supposed to act. Whereas like I myself have looked at some things being like, you know what, like I'm always, I, I'm, I, I guess sometimes a healthy spec- skeptic and sometimes I'm an unhealthy skeptic, but I go like every now and then I look and be like, you know what, like I don't really think that really fits anymore. Maybe I should look in a different direction. You always like jump back and forth. And I think it's mm-hmm. important to do that so that you don't just like, um, you you don't almost change the way you are and stay and I guess push yourself out of the direction of who you really are as a person just to fit the specific label that um, is I, I guess r- r- not rudimentary but it's not really like mutually exclusive at this point. Right. Yeah, I think that's so important, and I think especially I mean I think in today's society people crave for labels. It's very comfortable. It's what we're used to, and mental health is kind of like a new thing generally speaking. Um, and so it's like, well, we want labels for this too, right? Every kid has ADHD these days or whatever, right? Um, and I also think it's a, even, even not associating with, um, even not trying to kind of like fall into symptoms you don't think you have, let's say. It's also people use it as an excuse to not change the ones they do have. Oh, I'm this thing. <laughs> so like I have Asperger's. So like it's just fine that I insult people by accident. It's like, no. If anything, you should try and use that knowledge to find the most likely to help tools. And I mean, I've not found them, so I'm planning to develop them myself, right? Like, um, and so I think that's a key thing as well, is to really focus on, I want to make my life as best as possible, not some sort of excuse. I mean, it has been interesting. It has been a little freeing to be able to tell people I have Asperger's. Um, it's almost, it does almost feel like an excuse when I talk about it. And some people are skeptical. Some people are compassionate and like, thank me for sharing a vulnerable thing about myself and these sorts of things. So the reactions are quite broad, but you know, people communicate in concepts. If I'm trying to communicate to someone the way my mind works and how I think it's different than average, right now, the best way to do that, in my opinion, is to say I have Asperger's because mm-hmm. the other option is to try and list and, and you know, what we've like is to have this conversation with every single person I talk to. And now, yeah, now it's great. There's a podcast. I can just direct them all to it. Right. <laughs> but right. So it's important to have concepts for communication. And, you know, there aren't very many good ones in mental health. It's just, it's just a fact. Even the, you know, the most famous ones like anxiety and depression, people have almost no understanding what it actually means. Um, and I yeah. like a, that's a perfect segue to the initial question that I really wanted to ask when you talked about it, which is when you mentioned that there was someone that you talked about who clearly defined for you what anxiety is. Mm-hmm. Um, do you mind sharing what that is so that um, it, it, you're able to delineate at least why you might have anxiety as someone with Asperger's or why that might be fundamentally different from um, what you actually have? Well, so I definitely think anxiety is going to come often with people with Asperger's, right? 
um, because of the mechanism. And so I wouldn't say he clearly defined it, but he made the clear argument to me that I had this thing that he explained, right? So it wasn't that he gave me the definition that made, that clicked something into place, right? Um, but essentially, yes. So, and it was really interesting because everything, and I'll get to actually answering your question in a second, <laughs> but I think an additional piece of context that's really important is everything they that they, meaning mental health professionals, psychology books, everything that was described as anxiety and anxious thoughts applied to all of my thoughts. So that was really interesting. And when I started to put med meditation practices and mindfulness practices into my, into my mind, it actually caused me huge problems because I was shutting off all of my thinking. It was really bizarre and it took me a long time to be able to differentiate my thoughts from my anxious thoughts because they occurred in the same manner and everything I had read said those are anxious thoughts. And so basically an anxious thought is a thought that you, that isn't productive, that you can kind of, when you pay, when you notice the thought, you can notice that it's not actually, it's, it's not actually a valuable thought to have. You're not actually thinking through a problem that you can solve. It's just worry right? So it's just worrisome thoughts that you can't stifle. And so it's important to obviously think through problems, but when you can't control those thoughts, that's when it's an issue and that's when it's anxiety. And when it overwhelms you, it can have an, you can have an anxiety attack when you really can't control your thinking and your mind at all. Um, and so basically, and it's also like, it can kind of overwhelm what you're doing, right? And so you're trying to focus on something, but there's this nagging in your mind of what about this? What about this? What about this? And it's often they say anxiety is worrying about the future, right? So trying to optimize a meeting. So let's concretize it, right? Um, you know, it used to be that before I hung out with any friend and particularly, let's say a female friend or a female I was interested in, it would be like nonstop anxiety of me trying to play through all of the scenarios beforehand. What should I do? What should I say? How should I act? And like those aren't, those thoughts come from insecurities and not trusting that whatever, that when I'm in the situation, I'll be able to handle that situation properly. Right. And I'll be able to respond in that moment properly. And so anxious thoughts are the thoughts that come up before the thing, just worrying and trying to optimize and that sort of thing. And so that's anxiety. And I would project into Winston that perhaps that applies quite strongly to him. And I'd say that that was the same approach I had taken to all thinking because I was always analyzing everything, but there was a distinction because there was an emotional distinction attached to the thought. Am I actually worried about not doing this or am I just trying to really know how to solve this? Right. And there is a distinction between, uh, like if you're working 10 hours on solving a complex math problem, that's different than working 10 hours to try and solve the exact right message to send a significant other, right? And those things are <laughs> fundamentally like different in the mind. Um, they're different processes. So that's the anxiety. And then, but all of my thoughts came in that manner. All of my thoughts overwhelmed me. And so after I had a good handle on anxiety and depression, what that difference was is I would just be like working on a problem and I could keep hearing my thoughts of my mind still trying to solve that problem. And I knew I wasn't anxious. I knew I'd eventually solve it. I knew that it wasn't even important necessarily to deal with right now, 
but I still couldn't stop my mind from thinking about those things. Right. And so there was no value attached to it. Right. And so emotions come from values and val. And so it has to be like a fear of losing a value or some sort of negative emotion that tends to lead to anxious thoughts. But there was no value assessed associated with these thoughts yet I couldn't control them. Um, and so it was, it was the kind of noticing that difference. And yet there's still these thoughts, whereas for most people it's only, or it tends to be those emotional ones that those anxiety thoughts that kind of have that uh, oomph in their mind. And I think an important thing to note is that I think the differ differentiation is that like, I'll find that even if there's something that I'm completely and a hundred percent prepared for until it happens, I consistently go through like a scenario uh, analysis in my head, even though I know like I've, I've done all the work, I've done everything that I need to do to be prepared for this and I'm, I'm ready for it. But like, I can't switch to a different cast sometimes because mm -hmm. I'll have to think through, I'm like, maybe I've missed something. And so like, you'll just keep going through it over and over again. And so like once that is done is the only way I can start switching to a different task. And um, sometimes it's like incredibly debilitating and you find that you have to, at least in my case, you have to cram your schedule with a whole bunch of stuff where there's, um, where there's deadlines over and over again so that you almost force your brain to be like, I have to switch in this direction. Otherwise, I'm going to miss, this, miss these number of scenarios that I have to go, in, go through. And yeah. uh, it works for a little while, but of course, we know burnout's a true thing. Mm -hmm. And so like, I, 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 um, there was a specific case, and I won't go into it too, too much, but uh, where I completely overloaded myself with every possible like mental like every competition everything that you had to do mm. for two months and for like the first month it was amazing because I, I could just focus all of my brain power on like a few yeah. different problems but then after a while it's just like you just run out of juice and then it, you just start having major diminishing returns yeah no i think that's a really important point actually and maybe i'll emphasize this as as my last point and we can if people are interested in more about details of specifically my background, we can get into it in a future episode. Um, but really that idea of, well, I'll, I'll say first actually that I think the, the line isn't clear because some of what you were saying definitely sounds like anxiety to me, right? Um, and I mean, we've talked about this a bit just generally speaking and I'm excited to get into it on, uh, in the podcast. Um, about how to even deal with all of those, right? Because the, the sense of absolute bliss you get from knowing and being totally confident in yourself in the moment and that you did do everything you could and really turning off all of those thoughts, anxious and non-anxious, it's just freaking amazing, right? But one thing I think is really important that you hit on that I didn't mention is this idea of let's call it hyper-focus right? The only way I could get my mind to behave and do what I wanted was when I was seeking adrenaline, basically. This, I was in a, I, my mind until I was 24 felt like I was in fight or flight mode. I was in absolute like reaction mode all of the time. And so the only way I could be productive was to somehow instill that, right? To make whatever I'm doing so exciting and so high, high, uh, high risk, let's say, for lack of the proper term, uh, that it would actually engage my mind to that degree. And so, um, you know, whether that was studying and I crammed one day for every exam and passed the course because I could process a lot of data 
And that was the only way it actually was exciting because I wasn't at all interested in my program, unfortunately. <laughs> and it was the same with work. I'd literally make it a game. How much can I procrastinate? Not because I was worried about doing it, but because doing it last minute was the only way it was fun. And it was literally that level of engagement that I needed to get over my anxieties, over my racing thoughts, right? Because if I wasn't fully focused and like outputting information, just the churning in my mind was louder. So I was always that. And so I'll add one last thing that really connects this. Generally speaking, I mentioned how I thought I had bipolar type two disorder. And I mentioned how I used to spin in circles because that felt like I was getting my world up to my mind's level of functioning. And this, this is the connection piece, right? I was a, an adrenaline junkie, drinking, gambling, sleeping around because my world, that was the only thing that actually engaged me enough to be present, right? Because we're talking about, you know, the key is trying to get present to not have to think to just be, you know, living your in the moment. And when your moment is going so fast that all you can do is react, you're kind of living in the moment, right? And that's why a lot of people, you know, Asperger's or not, uh, seek that because it, it does get at part of what the goal is of really being present, living in the moment, living your life. But I mean, there's many other issues with that that we'll get into some other time as well, I'm sure. Um, but really, that is the connection. It's that the world moved way slower than my mind. And the only way I enjoyed interacting with the world in any sense was to ramp it up, ramp it up, social scenarios, parties, work, whatever it was, I couldn't get enough input. And it's because I was getting so much input anyways, that unless the thing I was trying to focus on was all of the input, I wasn't actually paying proper attention to it. And I like how you said that because I, I can relate very, very <laughs> closely to that because part of me, like one, like one of my goals, like growing up was uh, to be like a CEO or like run a major business. And to my understanding, that was just all about just seeing the entire thing and just taking everything in at one time yeah. and just like, you know, drinking through a fire hose consistently. Um, but, and for me personally, sometimes I would like thrive in those environments, but after a while I would like, like, like I would say it's like, it starts to become sort of debilitating because you're just essentially trying to fix a problem by like, uh, almost like over medicating. I don't know if that's the right way to right, right way to put it, but it's just like, Hey, like if I'm already in this mess where I'm just thinking about everything, might as well use it to my benefit right where it's stuff that like i could probably that's probably useful to me that i could be thinking about where if every single meeting is super important and i'm already thinking about it anyways right. let's do that instead of thinking about like what's the best possible thing to eat this afternoon like you know what i mean yeah no and that makes a lot of sense it's like uh it's like you have this spotlight that you can't turn off so you may as well point it at interesting things <laughs> right it's really like that um and I think that's a, a, that's a good analogy uh, for sure. It's, and it's really like, and, and, you know, people find more and less productive ways to do it. But the fundamental thing that I'm trying to advocate is, and I mean, this is much wider than Asperger's generally, but I think, uh, you know, no, you can get full control of that and shrink the spotlight and turn it off when you want. And that's not a bad thing, right? Um, it's actually a great thing and really can give you rest and makes you better when you actually do choose, right? It's about putting that in your complete control rather than just kind of 
trying to see where to aim this thing because it has to point somewhere. <laughs> and uh, and last question, because I know that um, like we're probably going past that like regular thirty minute mark that we wanted yeah. to hit. Um, but why Aspergers and not like I know there is probably not very clear either. But why Aspergers and not like high functioning autism or just Aspergers? Or, I mean, sorry, uh, uh, autism spectrum dis- disorder in general. Well, so these things are all kind of mixed up, right? So it used to be called Asperger. My understanding is it used to be called Asperger, Asperger's, and now it's autism spectrum disorder, and they've just amalgamated Asperger's with some other disorders. Um, so it's really, I just like the sound of Asperger's better, autism spectrum disorders long. It's also more <laughs> directly associated with autism as such. I think that there's this hugely negative focus on any sort of psychological, let's call it issue. And so saying I have autism applies that more regularly in people's minds as well. So it's almost like I want to take back the term Asperger's. I have Asperger's and it's freaking incredible, right? Like, um, and it's- That's a t-shirt. Right. That's a t-shirt. <laughs> That's a t-shirt. Yeah. So to me, it's just what has come about as the best way to communicate to people. Again, it's concepts are for communicating and understanding. And in my understanding primarily, and then communicating. um, And in my mind, Asperger's fits best. And in my experience communicating it, it fits best best as well. Because autism has a whole other, uh, you know, stigma associated with it. And it like much more than Asperger's does, I think. Um, And also then they get you immediately kind of get sidetracked into, well, what does it mean? It's a spectrum. And you have to kind of explain, well, it's the same fundamental thing, but obviously if you have 10% versus 80%, like it's, it's significantly different on its effects and those sorts of things. So I've really just found Asperger's for me to be the concept that helps me the most understand it and, uh, you know, continue to progress. Ideally, you know, you and I come up with a proper new term to explain uh, either some aspects or the totality of what's going on in my mind, your mind, and helpful. But I think the, I think that's a key thing that I want to accomplish with this podcast and with people in the community who join us is I want to, I think the state of the field is poor and I want to create better concepts so we can communicate it more clearly. But uh, Asperger's just seems to be the best to me. Okay. Sounds good. I like that. It's a, it's a, it's a nice and easy way to, um, easy way to explain to someone where it's like it's the same thing where, and of course there's pros and cons to it, right? Where it's like, sometimes you, um, get associated with things that have nothing to, that you don't necessarily have. It's like when someone asks you, like, are you an atheist or like agnostic and say I'm agnostic, but you don't realize there's like a thousand terms behind there and what it means to be agnostic when all yeah. you said is all you meant is I don't know. Um, but I guess to your point, like as we start to go through it, like maybe we can actually create some like better um, sort of sections in which you can you could better align yourself with, so that like um, at least like we mentioned earlier, like create a community beyond with, around people who think in a very similar direction, mm-hmm. so that um, everyone can get to understand themselves better. Or you yeah. might find that everybody is so like so <laughs> I don't want to say disintegrated, but it's almost like a lattice framework of everyone yeah. in all multiple different directions where you need to speak to like multiple nodes in order to get an idea of how you think personally. Yeah. And I think that's why it like our over time, deep exploration will be extremely uh, fascinating and, and as people contribute as well. And on that front. Uh, so this has been my story as to why I think I have Asperger's be sure to tune into next episode where we'll dive into Winston's and please share your stories with us as well. And if you're interested, 
you know, you can support us and also subscribe to YouTube, subscribe to the podcast and uh, tune in next time. Buy our shirt. Buy a shirt. <laughs> no, Buy a shirt. <laughs> Asperger's. I have Asperger's and I'm proud.